Welcome to That Season Air podcast. I'm your host Gina. Stick with me as I chat to Season Airs, expats and adventurers across the world sharing their inspiring stories and interesting insights into living and working abroad. On today's show, I catch up with Spanish Season Air and action sports journalist Alba Pardo. As a young girl growing up in Spain, Alba knew she was destined to follow the snow, leaving for her first season aged only 16. From then on, it was all about finding the means to make a life chasing winters. Something sparked at me, like, right, so I'm going to continue doing this journalism thing mm-hmm. and I'm going to open a bar <laughs> and I'm going to make money in summer <laughs> and then I'm going to go to the places I've always wanted to go snowboarding that I've seen in movies and that I yeah. see magazines. So I did. This story has it all from cocktail bars to van life to freelance journalism. Stick with us right to the end of the show to find out how Alba handles motherhood with a travel lifestyle, how she founded Spanish snowboard magazine SBS Mag, and how she's recently found a true passion in creating the Women in Action Sports Network. If you enjoy the podcast and want to show your support for the show, you are now able to buy me a coffee via the link in the show notes. And without further ado, here's the show. Welcome to the show, Alba Pardo. Thank you for having me here. Very honored and very pleased. Oh, well, thank you so much for being a part of it. We've spoken a few times. Uh, I did an interview with you for the Women in Action Sports Network. So how have you been? What have you been up to? I've been good. I've been getting a lot of snow, actually. I'm in the northern... Uh, it's actually the middle of Sweden, but it's mm-hmm. kind of quite up north. It's like four hours north of Stockholm and... I've been spending a lot of time in Ore, which is like one of the biggest resorts out here. And yeah, I've been busy with work. So lots of exciting things going on. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you originally from? And obviously you've just told us your current situation, Mm. but I'm guessing you're no longer classed as a seasonaire as such. So what are you up to at the minute? Uh, I don't know though, because I do (laughs) live my life by season very much so oh cool so so i'm originally from spain from a small village close to barcelona about like 35 kilometers from from the city Mm -hmm. uh in a beautiful kind of natural park just hills not no big mountains uh no sea but it's not far from either i still have my house there so i just recently moved to sweden with Mm -hmm. my daughter pia she's four yeah, I mean, I still go back and forward a lot. So no, perhaps it's not like a season year per se, but I still chase the snow as much as I can. Yeah. As you said there, you're originally from Spain. You're now yeah. living in Sweden. You've been yeah. and done a lot of seasons. Tell us what kind of sparked the idea to first go and live and work abroad? I guess it started when I was quite young. I mean, I started snowboarding when I was 12. And as soon as I tried that, I was like, right, this is it. Mm-hmm. Now I look back and I realize I, I live and I grew up in a nice environment, cool little village that has a lot to offer and is a great place to grow up. Back then it was, I, I couldn't wait to run out of really? it. Yeah, yeah. I was like, you know, because to get to the city, it's like there's two buses a day and it's beautiful, but at the same time, it's like a pain in the ass. So I just couldn't wait to get out of there and yeah. see the world and get to know other people and other ways of doing things and, and have all these inputs. Like I, I always describe myself as a sponge. Like I, I like to learn and I like to absorb everything that I can. Mm-hmm. So I just couldn't, like it got too small. 
But equally, I've never liked cities. I cities scare the shit out of me, to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I can't do big towns, but mountains, you know, and and small villages. That's kind of always what I wanted. Like I think my first season, I probably was sixteen. It was like a summer season, but in in a glacier in Lesser Alps, and came back when I was seventeen. So it was like a shorter, yeah, like three three months, three and a half months. And from then it was just kind of like started in this loop and, you know, you know, I'd work to save to go to and start yeah. doing all this season traveling. How did you get into snowboarding? Because obviously you're from a place that's probably, what is it, like quite warm weather most of yeah. the time. Well, we do have the Pyrenees, which is only like an hour and a half away. And okay. a, and it's good snow and, and it's good terrain. But yeah, fairly enough, it's not a country or a place where snowboarding or skiing is big in in our culture that said i guess I, I was skiing with my family like twice a year and the ski holidays and i always was attracted to skateboarding and the day i saw someone doing that on the snow i was like right i'm gonna convince my parents to allow me to do that so i did and and then i was the rest hooked. is history yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so you mentioned that your first season was les des alps and les des alps yeah what was that season like I mean, obviously at 16, you're very young and you have no idea what the hell you're doing. I just wanted to be there and try and get good at snowboarding. I was in a camp and so I was like still a student. And then I went to like two years before university, I continued to study, but I already met people there that kind of became my mentors without even knowing I got my first story published by telling about, you know, what it is like to spend a summer in a Liz's Alps in the glaciers, snowboarding during the day and doing other stuff during the evening. And I got that published with my photos and my words already at 16. And I wow. then my journey kind of went to, all right, well, now I need to make a decision. My decision was not to continue to uni, which kind of gave my mom and dad a little bit of a heart attack, especially because, <laughs> you know, I was a straight A girl. So it was kind of like a given. Uh, I was like, no, mom no, dad, I'm not going to do physics anymore. I, I, I want to be a snowboard instructor. So they're like, okay, well, make sure you get all the exams done the, for all this hard work you've done for all these years and that you can have the doors open to uni if you ever want to. So, mm-hmm. so I said, all right, that, that sounds like a fair deal. So I did. And they supported me to get my qualifications as an instructor, as a coach and stuff. And soon enough, I realized, I guess that as an 18 year old, that was my first proper season. I went to the Pyrenees, uh, based in Pucharda, which is like the biggest town there. And, and then you have, it's pretty cool because in half an hour drive, uh, you have eight to 10 resorts, two on the Catalan side and six or seven on the French side. So I, I was working at a ski school there and. Yeah, you every day you'd go to a different resort and you were based in like a, a bigger town. But I was already realizing that, you know, instructing and coaching wasn't really my calling. So I enrolled myself in um an online university. Like I, I wanted to continue studying. Oh, I just wow. you know, I just had no interest on going to university every day. Yeah. I had other stuff to do. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wanted to still be in the mountains. So so I did that and then I actually changed again from tourism. I, I switched to journalism because I thought it was a better fit. And that summer I had to go to Argentina. Like the ski school offered me a position in, in South America to do the, the winter season there and, and keep instructing. And I almost did. But then 
if I remember correctly, something happened. The Argentinian money got devaluated. Like it, they had a bit of a crisis. And so it's like, mm. oh, it's not really worth it for me. Like I, I probably won't even be able to make a living, to be honest. Yeah. So kind of something sparked on me. I'm like, right. So I'm going to continue doing this journalism thing mm-hmm. and I'm going to open a bar. <laughs> and I'm going to make money in summer. And then I'm going to go to the places I've always wanted to go snowboarding that I've seen in movies and that I yeah. see in magazines. So I did. So you decided to open a bar? Yeah, I opened a cocktail bar by the beach in La Costa Brava, <laughs> yes, <laughs> at 18. So that is, again, something completely different. Like what fueled that idea, if you like? <laughs> well, I wanted to make money to be able to do what I wanted to do in winter and not have to work a traditional mm-hmm. season air job. And they always tell you, do what you know, right? I grew up in a restaurant, like my mom and dad have a restaurant. Right, okay. So I guess I thought, yeah, okay, restaurant, but you know, food, too much work, like, uh, I can do <laughs> drinks. So I enrolled myself in like these speedy courses at a culinary school to become a bartender, a mixologist. So I actually enjoyed it. Like, I think I had some like talent for it, like measures and volumes and stuff, like, it, it, it's almost like science so um, yeah yeah and funny stories like I did all these courses and I spent like three four years without drinking so I did all these cocktail making trainings and I didn't taste a drop of it because I wasn't <laughs> drinking so it was hilarious because it was like, oh this cocktail's so good it's like oh is it good <laughs> because I, I, yeah, never glad tried, you're enjoying yeah, it. I never tried it <laughs> so that that was a funny one um but yeah I don't know I guess I had a a, a moment of brightness in my head like of course I, I got drunk and did stupid stuff as a teenager and stuff mm-hmm. and but I soon enough realized that that wasn't gonna work for me especially if I was about to open my own business to make money to be able to go snowboarding and make it into a journalism in snowboarding like I realized that the night business was a, a business that a lot of people get lost into yeah and so it's like right you're 18 you don't know what you don't know if you get a bit tipsy and you have two three staff working for you at a bar things can go terribly wrong yeah so yeah I made the decision of not drinking and to you know keep my mind clear and yeah uh, I'm sure I did a lot of mistakes and you know things here and there that I would probably do different now but at the end of the day that went well and I had the bar for a couple of summer seasons and it allowed me to buy a van like a dream van you know Volkswagen brand new really? California with everything <laughs> you could dream of I was a bit lucky to stumble upon it as well but having that money thing which was very risky at the beginning like I, I started it from nothing uh you know I just went and got a loan that my parents had to back me up for and then I had to return it quickly and I did and, and and it worked out yeah that's quite an achievement at 18 like was it not at all overwhelming or do you oh, think yeah, when you're was. 18 you kind of have like a bit more balls about you the world hasn't got to you yet and you kind of perhaps it is the better time to take those risks I guess yeah yeah it, it was a bit ballsy of me it was also a bit ballsy of my mom and dad to support that but um uh, would I do it again yeah I think I would I think I would. It's uh, really cool. But you were, you were obviously very focused, you know, like you say, you didn't drink. Yeah, but I still was 18. 
<laughs> with a death will in the wall, you're still 18. So you're still like an idiot and you make mistakes and you lose money and things that you're like, wait, what? <laughs> so um, in that sense, um, I think I haven't grown either. So ah. <laughs> anyways, let's skip to the good part, which is that I got a van and yes. that became like my safe spot. Like I became like a snail basically. And so the first season after the bar, and after the Pyrenees, uh, I went to Solden in Austria. Oh, okay. Uh, cool. I didn't speak a word of German. I basically got a map and just went there. Um, <laughs> and because they have, of course, like the pretty high up glacier, they, they started their season earlier than any other resort um, the time that I could find or understand. Because again, not a word of German. And it, it turned out, like, I had no idea it was a party, a party town. Like, absolutely no idea so I kind of showed up there and it was like maybe October or end of September so it was still kind of early season the glacier was open so I could snowboard every day the snow was very good and nobody was there like oh this is epic (laughs) then I was living in a basement of this guest house of this family (laughs) and I was just paying cash because it was like money saved from the bar and you know and to (laughs) travel with the money and have this like 500 euro bills to pay the rent every month <laughs> and then we just <laughs> saw like this 19 year old girl that showed up in a van like I couldn't <laughs> speak a word to them like English yeah sort of yeah kind of become friends um with all the staff in the resort was all them because the season hadn't started yet I felt like I I didn't get to meet many people but one day I spotted a lifty that was roughly my age and had a snowboard and so I said, do you want to, do you speak English? Do you want to go snowboarding in your break? Because I was snowboarding by myself. And I was like, yeah. And But that season, unfortunately, got cut out short because I was still doing my coach training because I thought, well, you started, you might as well finish it. So I flew back to Spain to do the final exams of that and the final training for that. And there was a jibbing competition in the weekend. So it was like a two-week training and there was like a competition in the weekend in the middle and it was set in this hostel in the Pyrenees in Bacada and there was a bus and there was a box on top of a bus and they had to set it up in the parking lot so basically we put snow there and we were jibbing you know the bus I think it's like four girls competing it was like a fun event and I was also taking pictures of it as part of like yeah yeah I can take pictures and help you out because yeah. I, I was like to take part in the organization of things and basically I, I yeah I landed on the eyes and and twisted my knee and so I no. my season got cut out short but it kind of I had to go back to Austria get my van bag it was all this massive story like pay a friend to come with me to drive back for 14 hours and, and again the <laughs> family knows you were like what the fuck is <laughs> This strange yeah, Spanish was... girl with all this money in this van, and now she's paying this person to come with her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was odd. Um, so I guess that was a bit of a, a tryout season to try and make it while studying and whilst doing this thing. But anyways, I, it allowed me to go back, focus on my physical therapy, and and focus on the bar to to save up more. So my goal and my ambition for the next season was even bigger. Mm-hmm. and I said Canada oh wow and so I I went to Whistler um, oh cool so you went back to the bar in between yes okay and the only 
way I could afford to, you know, go six, seven months, I think I spent in Canada without working there because I couldn't even mm-hmm. get a working visa. Because back then, now they, I remember for the English people and for Australians and even for Czech, there were big communities of them there. Mm-hmm. This was like 2009. So they had a lot of, of course, Commonwealth, but also other countries, they had a lot of working holiday visa agreements. But for Spain, there were like a lottery of four for the whole Spain. Really? So oh my goodness. Virtually impossible. Yeah. Like it wasn't my plan to stay there anyways. I was studying, like I remember I flew back to do my exams in Feb and I went back again because I was studying in Madrid where the university is based in Madrid. And I, I just said, right, well, you've saved this money. You work your ass off. Now do it, right? Mm-hmm. The only thing I missed in Canada was my van that I had to park for six months. But, oh, no. um, <clears throat> it was a it was a great learning experience to be there. Like I had never really left Europe before, and yeah, it was it was at all levels great. When I go places, I and for seasons, I always, especially if it's a faraway country, I always yeah. like to kind of know more of where I'm going and what I'm visiting and what I'm doing there. So I took the last month and I did the Trans Canadian trip by train so I went across Canada by train and I even went up to the Hudson Bay because I, I wanted to experience more than just I felt like Whistler is great it's a great mountain but it's a bit like Disneyland mm-hmm. it was also pre-olympic year or pre-olympic season so they were building all this up and so it was like yeah it's heaven you know for a snowboard it's like what you've seen <laughs> in movies but yeah I want to know more about Canada and I want to know more about the culture and and so I took that trip solo as well and and that was really really exciting oh wow any highlights from that trip yeah i think when i talk to any canadians like oh yeah yeah, i've been in churchill they're like wait what it's like but up in the arctic sea it's like yeah yeah it takes (laughs) two and a half days by train to get there oh wow and you have to wait there two and a half days until the next train comes back unless you live on the same one there's no roads the closest down is Thompson, which is 24 hours by train. I mean, yeah, of course you can fly with a little plane, but that's super expensive. That's literally the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so that was cool. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So after Canada, what did you do next? Where did you head to? Then I went to France. So I did, I started to get more and more into taking pictures and traveling with snowboard crews and getting, mm-hmm. trying to get stuff published and, and trying to work out how that worked i did that and then the nikita swister became the ladies first challenge and i did that for a couple other years but i was already living abroad so the traveling logistics were were harder so i did that season in avery as i traveled a lot i took advantage of you know having the van and being in the central alps and kind of everything was closer and yeah it's a bit of a blur but i kind of was all over the place (laughs) um so i i was still trying to I think I was doing social media and little jobs, you know, like little freelance shitty jobs that I could get my hands on to just pay rent and, and yeah. gas, basically. I mean, I, I got to meet Navarias. I don't even know how, but I got to meet a group of Russian snowboarders um, and they were so good yet so fucking crazy. And I got to shoot with them. I don't even know how I linked up with them. <laughs> And now it turns out, you know, Kirill was one of their photographers. He's like one of the biggest Nikon photographers in Russia and in the world. And he does amazing work. And it was just this very natural, like, kind of when you let yourself live it, it, yeah. it happens. And also the person who I met through that trip was Aliona Lekina, who 
was then uh, Roxy Wright, still is a Roxy team member, but she, she was competing. Uh, she was like the Russian half-life champion and, and she was going to the Olympics and stuff. She is this amazing personality. Like she speaks Russian, English, Spanish. She plays the piano. She mm-hmm. snowboarded like, you know, she plays music. She sings like she's amazing. And we connected really well. And we shot and we, yeah, it was like one of those memories that I cherish and it's got a bit of a sad turn this story but because I think it was that season actually in spring she went to California or was it the year after I forget but basically she had a silly accident falling over a sofa you know springtime and 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 she can't walk uh oh. so she's been in a wheelchair since and it still amazes me how much pain and bad stuff she has gone through yet she has managed to come on the other side of things and she's now mm-hmm. you know the massive like sing star and like model and role model and still does all these voluntary work at hospitals with kids and I don't know it's one of those mm-hmm. moments that I link back to Avrias and that if I wouldn't have been yeah. there I and for me the places I go is the people I meet and these kind of relationships I nurture I think it was also the season where I took one of the, I think it's the first picture I got published in the Reason magazine, which was of Amy Fuller in, in the stash at the snow park there. So that was cool because she was just starting out and we we're kind of just helping each other out. And now look at her. She's in like presenting BBC Olympic shows and stuff. So, Amazing. so that's really cool. <laughs> but also the whole tour of like the ladies first child, uh, or Nikita's first store then, you know, I saw riders coming out of there that then have become world class athletes and and girls that kind of shaped their careers from there and yeah I don't know again I feel like all these travels and all these seasons what brings me back to them is the people I met and I've seen them again and I keep in touch and yeah it's really cool and then after that I saved up a little bit I don't even know how the hell I manage but I guess (laughs) when you're alone in 20 you don't need much so I managed to buy a flight to New Zealand and go to Wanaka for the summer, their winter season, uh, when snow park, cause you know, I was like, Oh, I want to make it in the industry. I want to take, I want to become this photographer. I want to do all this stuff. You need to know the riders. You need to know where the, you need to go where the action is. So I snow park and said what was happening then. So I did that. You still continued with the studying and the journalism side of things and obviously clearly got into photography quite heavily at yeah. this point. So I guess that was 2010. That's when I got my first ad published. I think K2 Snowboarding published an ad for a Spanish writer that I took the picture there in New Zealand. And it kind of just escalated from there. Then I moved to Andorra because I met my boyfriend at the time and he was working at a snow park there. And it was when I decided around then to to start the magazine because after the 2009 recession, there were a lot of blogs, a lot of magazines in Spain and and in Europe, and a lot of them started to close down and, and Spain kind of had nothing. And I was like, no, I, I need to continue this. So then... Yeah, tell us a bit about that. I saved up a little bit enough to pay my good friend Mel a trip to Les Alps for a week. <laughs> she coded and designed my website. And so I just... <laughs> pulled the people I knew, like a lot of the people I had met in the Spanish scene in the Lizard's Alps and then the resorts there. And I just kind of started writing and did a magazine and did a launch party and did events and did like braille jams. And I don't know, to be honest, I don't even know. I just, yeah. And I was working for this 
Andorra resort and I was running like social media and comms for their snow park. Did the Women in Action Sports first thing start before the Spanish snowboard magazine? Yes, it did. It did, it did. In 2009, the first Women Boat Sports, what it was called then, retreat happened in Sassfa in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. And it was just a gathering of women like Carmela, Fleury, Daniela Mayer and Marika Borg. They were, they're three amazing women. And they realized that a lot of the women in the industry didn't even know each other and that we were all looking for connections and, and doing the same thing. So they just organized this nice weekend in, in Sasfe and an amazing thing came out there, you know, and that event kind of repeated itself for like seven or eight years. I stumbled up on this event because of my mentor at the time. She was based in Madrid. She's a former Olympian as well. And she had a little girls sports sports magazine and we were trying to create this project together. But I was basically just learning from her. She, she's like, she became like my big sister. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, a friend of a friend told me that this is happening in Sasfe. Should we go? And I said, like, yeah, let's go. But I was still very much like studying and kind of learning. I feel like a big part of my learning experience was from her because she was also a journalist and an entrepreneur. You know, like she had two degrees and an Olympic career and, and she was only 25 or something. So, uh, it was, it was a great mentor to have. And yeah, I kind of just, got there and I realized, oh, wow, these people don't even have social media. And I mean, it was still kind of new then, or I can take photos for them. So I I instantly felt like I wanted to get involved. Yeah. yeah. That that was something that I, that I could be part of. And so I just did. Yeah. And that was kind of parallel to everything else. And it was an ongoing thing together with my moving around. So every year it was almost kind of nice because the first five or six years that happened in Sasfe was like, October came and you'd go back to Sasfe, you know, you kind of go around and then go back there for the weekend, see uh, and meet new women. So that was great. Yeah, really cool. So I worked very hard and I traveled a lot. I was still traveling to Switzerland to do the shooting. So I I was moving a lot that year. I was moving a lot. And then I did the last bit of that season I did. I spent in Breckenridge, again, trying to look for where the riders were at and they were there. They were in Colorado. They were training. The Breckenridge Park was like the place they would go and, and train. Because and the reason that I looked for parks is because it was easier to kinda get to in those environments to get into the backcountry if you didn't have a crew, yeah. right? So and around then I guess I met Seth Hill, who was a a US rider riding for Sims at the time. And we traveled a lot together. We shot a lot together. He came to Andorra, uh, stayed with us traveled in Europe with him for a bit, kind of, you know, shot a lot with him, did a lot of street spots, a lot of, yeah, we kind of both were hustling in our own ways. And the season after, I spent more time in the US uh, doing other projects as well with other writers and traveling back and forth to Andorra, still running the magazine, so trying to do all the trade shows. I don't know, I, I slowly I kind of build this, future or not not this future but this kind of thing that it wasn't really a thing but it was enough to be a thing does that make sense yeah Yeah, it does (laughs) so so for me the magazine uh, sbs mag has never really been a salary maker rather an opportunity maker okay and i've embraced that and i've used it to get me to the places i wanted to go and then do whatever i needed to do on the side how did you actually go about starting the magazine Tell us a bit about that. Like, what were the processes that you had to go through to get to that point? The, the processes then set a structure. 
I guess I was building a strategy without even knowing what I was doing. And now I guess I replicate what I learned then for every project I start. And that was a really valuable lesson. And that's around the time I kind of lost interest in university. And it's because I was already doing this right uh, by myself and I was already making a living out of it somehow. <laughs> I guess, you know, in, in uni, they were trying to give us all this knowledge to help us be able to create these structures. And I was already creating these structures yeah. by myself, whether it's, you know, finding an editorial voice, uh, a line of content, uh, a line of promotion, a media kit, like a, but mostly a concept of what is like the, what the, the W questions. Right. Mm-hmm. And that can be applied to every project you do. And that's for me, that's the starting point. When, whenever I have a blank page and I need to start, it's like, I have an idea or I think I have an idea or a client needs something. Or I, I, I just put a blank page and I, and I write the what, why, for who, uh, when and where, and you know, and I, yeah, and I sure. try and, and write that down. And when that's down, I did a lot of planning, a lot of drawing, a lot of scribbling. So I guess that was mainly the process. Mm. Have you got other people working on it now? Or uh, what's the situation at the moment with the magazine? This year is like going to be our 10th and, and September is going to be our 10th anniversary. So I guess it's it's going well. I don't run the day-to-day really anymore. I write articles and pieces that I want. And I feel like, like yesterday I published uh, one about snowboarding with a baby because that's where I am at now and I felt like it so I did um <laughs> perks of the job but, yes no but uh but uh I have Chavi who kind of came on board a year after the magazine was born and he's just these super passionate super altruist is that the right word and he just does it on the side like he's got his nine-to-five job at a workshop a car shop whatever and and then he does this and he loves it and he's kept it alive all this time. And and then we have other, like Marina is also a great shredder that she lives in, in Innsbruck. Oh, cool. Uh, and she contributes with us and have, yeah, we've made a, you know, friends. It's a, it's a small community. So it's going, it's a place that people go to to find snowboarding and, and we like to promote everyone. Yeah. And again, I guess because it's not, or it's never been driven for money or for making a big profit out of it rather than just, keep it going you know if we have a head uh advertiser that keeps it going so it doesn't cost us money and it gives us opportunities of things that we want to do and allow to promote other people that uh, we're happy with that that's amazing yeah um, nice um so did you do any other seasons after new zealand oh yeah new zealand i went to andorra then i did andorra and breckenridge then i did breckenridge then i did back to the pyrenees I, I think I'm forgetting some. <laughs> and then I moved to London. <laughs> totally different again then. <laughs> what did you move to London for? <laughs> well, I met my ex-husband. Ah, okay. And the only, I didn't want a long distance relationship. So the only thing for me to doing it, it was to, to move to London. I was working for a Korean outerwear company at the time. Okay. Uh, I was their global marketing director trying to, my job was to kind of bring out, because they're the biggest outerwear brand in Korea or snowboarding uh, specific to bring it to the Western. So Europe and the U S it didn't quite work out. Like they pulled out in the middle of the process, like they got scared and then they realized that they were happy just staying in Korea. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I was doing that on top of the magazine and other little jobs again. Nice. That's me. Yeah. 
I did a year in London. I hated it. And I said, right, either we live together or I leave. I was living in zone one. Like it wasn't for me. Yeah. So he said, all right, well, I've never done a winter season. Why don't we go somewhere in the mountains? And ideally, I'd like to be Spain. So I get to learn the language because he's English. And I was like, all right. So we moved to the Pyrenees, back to Puchardá, where I did my first season. Oh, wow. As an 18-year-old. It looked a bit different, the setup. Of course, he had his own company. I had my own and we were working from home, which is a great perks, you know, of, of yeah. remote work that you can just go anywhere you like. We still tried to snowboard as much as we could. But yeah, so we were like grown up season years, if you will. <laughs> so yeah, like you've worked in a freelance capacity for a lot of those seasons. Always. I, I don't think I've ever had a proper job. Or, <laughs> no, 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 not a proper job, but like a... I don't think I've never been employed. Did you manage to integrate into like the season air community? Oh yeah, all the time. If you go to the bars. <laughs> yeah, so, did you start drinking again? <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. Yeah, because that's the thing is like, it, you know, the snowboarding is fun and being in the mountains is awesome, but it's like also mm. good to be part of the community. And I was just wondering what it was like as a freelancer really. I was the one that was doing a season, but with different purposes than everyone else. Yeah, it was like, I'm not just going to work in a chalet to be here and snowboard for a season. No, 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 no. I'm going to be snowboarding for life and I'm going to be doing this for life a way or another. Yeah, you're building something. It seems like you went about it kind of a smart way rather than going out and doing all the, you know, just here for the party, here for the snowboard. You like John Weaver. I don't know if you know yeah. John, but John was on the show. And he was like, yeah, always have something going on for yourself yeah. as well as doing the season air thing. You know, don't just make it a big piss up, like it, you know, have something there. And it seems like you've done that throughout all of your seasons is that you've been constantly working towards working in the industry that you want to work yeah. in. So, I mean, I enjoyed the cool. seasons and I enjoyed the, the, you know, the fun of it and the, the kind of yeah. ups and downs and the, the changes and, and all of that but also yeah I've always had something running I, I've, al mm. I've also had a bigger project or a bigger picture I guess yeah. just dreams I, I like to daydream a lot yeah. like when you kind of it's like I wonder if that can happen when you have the courage to go and try and you don't stop yourself amazing things happen right like I yeah I remember and, and it sounds like, oh, yeah, she's done it and she's gone all these places and she's working in the industry. Well, right. Let me let me give you the insider story. Like, yeah, I got this season. I was in, in the Pyrenees before meeting my now ex-husband and moving to London and stuff. I think I've never been so poor. Like, or not, I mean, yes, I guess I have. But I, I think the first time I didn't allow myself to that stop me to not have the security of uh, having a more income. So I was doing some social media for the Spanish resorts, like a group of six resorts through a subcontractor, whatever. So that paid fuck all. Like I, yeah. I could pay rent and buy food. That, that was it. And that year I achieved more than I have. Ever, or it's the year I'm most proud of. Like that year I went to Alaska, which was a dream since I was a girl, of course. And I got to produce a series of five webisodes for Red Bull. Wow. For Red Bull. Yeah. That's incredible. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, because you kind of just have an out of persistence. Yeah. Um I got to China. I went to Snowden event in China taking one of our Spanish riders and as a photographer and my parents weren't going through a good moment either. So I don't think I've told this to anyone, but I basically went to China with 10 euros in my pocket. Oh, wow. My credit cards were maxed out. Oh, my goodness. Like I spent the pay of that month to buy the ticket to China for going to that week event. Whoa. I mean, of course, I went because, you know, the event would pay out hotel and food and stuff there. So I knew I was covered for. Mm -hmm. But I also knew like I couldn't have any kind of emergency outside of the line or anything yeah i think with that 10 euros i bought a chinese made t-shirt for a friend that was having a baby at home oh wow <laughs> so uh, i don't know i i would do it all over again yeah it was nerve-wracking yeah, for sure yeah. but at the same time i feel so proud that i did that and that i made great friends there and that i still have now and that they when connections after and they gave me a deeper understanding of this and, and i had the opportunity to go to china snowboard yeah hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's amazing like if you think about those risks that you've taken have paid off in one way or another like they've given you all these amazing experiences that have then gone on to you know build your career Mm. that's what it's all about it's funny because a lot of the people sometimes think oh you know you have all this money saved out like a lot of people don't realize how little budgets you need to do things mm -hmm. i just never really talked about it because i was like well i'm doing it aren't i like i don't need to explain whether i have 10 or ten thousand euros in my bank account like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just doing this either you believe in what i do or you don't yeah easier said than done uh, <laughs> for sure there's a lot of setbacks and a lot of anxiety that comes with that but when you manage to overcome it it's kind of cool yeah yeah <laughs> now looking back it's like yeah that's kind of cool yeah, it's the same with the podcast you know like it's the year i'm most proud of the last year mm. and i'm not making it any money not, not really making a lot of money from it but you know, opportunities have come from it and all sorts. So yeah, that's the thing. It might, it might mind it up in a way that you never expected, but exactly. because you're putting yourself out there and you're kind mm -hmm. of trying, you don't know, maybe the skills you're learning from this become something else. Right? There we go. Yeah, exactly. But, but that's the way I like to think because otherwise I, I wouldn't have done any of this. I don't think. So you were, so you did the China thing. Where was after that? What was your, what was the rest of your journey? So I was I was in the Pyrenees, yeah, and that at the end of the season, I yeah through like together with Fishy, we presented and pitched this project. Uh, we were both going through a rough moment, like you know he had been one of the founders of Pleasure Magazine, and and I who was that uh, Marcus Fisher? Okay, but he's an amazing photographer, and he's just like a multi talented creative designer. You know he he and the six nowhere and a legend in the industry. Uh, and, but of course, you know, he was going through this transition of closing or walking away from pleasure. And he started then working at Oprah after a while, but yeah, it was, it was a transition for him. And I was like, I just want to make shit happen. Mm -hmm. And we kind of did this project together, designed it together. And he wanted to go to Alaska. He had some connections there to tailgate Alaska, which is like a, a festival they organize mm -hmm. in springtime in uh, Valdez, close to Valdez in Thompson Pass. And 
I mean, I know it's changed a bit over the years, but it was basically a parking lot that they set up in the middle of this pass in Alaska. And they ring in porta toilets and they set up a tent from the avalanche uh, center mm-hmm. there. And then they have like workshops and stuff, but it's, it's more like a get together, you know, it's called tailgate because people go with their RVs or you rent them and then they work out deals. So people from overseas can go and, and you're in a very good place that really good terrain is accessible from there. And by having all that community there, what means is that every day you get a report. So, you know, whether it's safe or it isn't, mm-hmm. and you always can go with people that kind of know. It's basically a, a good way to entry the backcountry when you're not a backcountry king. Right. right? Okay. Or like a, so um, I thought it was really interesting and um, I got to meet Mark. Sullivan and Rasmus, Mr. God at the time, who were the ones organizing it. And Fish and I convinced them to give us a pass for free in exchange <laughs> of giving them some media coverage. Cool. But that still meant, you know, like you, you get to park your RV for free, but you still need to rent your RV. You still need to pay your ticket. You still need to get your gear. Mm-hmm. Um, you still need to get gas money if you want sled rides or hello rides or whatever. So is that right? Well, we'll get split boards. Yeah, <laughs> we got some sled money, but yeah. Like heliboarding didn't didn't happen for us that year, but it was part of the story we wanted to tell on how you can access the mountain in in different ways. Yeah. And and of course, it's like already a few years ago before splitboarding exploded, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't even own a splitboard at the time. So anyway, yeah, we we kind of put this concept together and we pitched it at, at Revel. And I remember when we finally got someone to listen was like, oh, right. And and we were so scared to ask for money. <laughs> so we kind of priced it at so low. Oh, no. We, we basically calculated how much we needed to pay the tickets and sustain ourselves there for that time. And we split it 50-50 and, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of, and someone to edit it. And so we basically sold it at cost, okay. like at a very low cost, without even taking into consideration what we might need to make it better but anyways we did it and and i think we learned either you win or you learn right so i think we kind of did both here but it it was great yeah so what was your role in that yeah so i basically wrote the storyline like i i scripted it without even knowing what a script was Mm -hmm. and so i did the interviews and then i sat down with the editors and we created this thing and i put the voiceover on it and, and then i wrote the stories and i took the photos and she did all the video recording. Awesome. So it was it was very much kind of learning by doing. Yeah. Which was great. And again, that opened doors afterwards. And, you know, and just again, to give another insider thing, like I, of course, they paid us, but they paid us when we delivered the project. So I didn't have the money up front to go. So I had to go. I knew my ex-boyfriend had saved up some money because <laughs> and he didn't need it for a while because he was during this season in Austria. Anyways, I, I mean, he's it's like, can I borrow a couple of grand so I can buy a flight to Alaska? <laughs> I have a contract and I signed it. So the money's coming back. So I will get paid and you will get it back. I'm not sure when though, but it's coming. <laughs> and bless his heart, he was kind enough to say yes. So yeah, big yeah. shout out to him, but also <laughs> then I, I, 
they didn't have a split board. And I remember reaching out to the regional Burton rep and being like, I have a split board I can borrow. Oh. Like, I'm going to Alaska tomorrow. And they're like, wait, what? <laughs> like, Do you have bindings? No. <laughs> oh, God, okay. <laughs> and they let you? <laughs> yeah. That was so and cool. I remember picking up the, the split board and the bindings and the adapters, and I didn't have a fucking clue what I was doing. <laughs> That's close. Like, two hours before heading to the airport. Like... <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was, um, but it all worked out in the end. It worked out. It worked out. <laughs> it was, it was, it was great. Like I have some of the best memories out there. Like I, again, we landed there. Of course, my board bag got lost and then I slept on the RV, picked it up and the rest of the crew came. Mm-hmm. I was in an RV with like four Germans, one girl and two guys. And they spent 10 days arguing in German and I didn't know what the fuck was going on. <laughs> And then we also, like, the next day after we arrived at camp, jet lagged us hell. And it's like, right, Aldo, we're going out. And I'm like, wait, what? Wait, what? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I remember Fish and I got all the camera gear. He managed to get into the True Color Films crew and Karua Shapes guys. And they were trying these things and they were filming. And so we went out with them. They found these local guys that had sleds, but they didn't have enough. So we had to split for half of the way. <laughs> and so we basically went to the books, which is like this kind of glacial area in the middle of nowhere, which is pretty deep far in. I, I don't even know how much in, but like in, like you're far. <laughs> and they took tents and everything and we camped there. Wow. And there's this clip of me it's like, when I you kind of come over this, because the last bit we did with the sled, and you see this valley, and I'm like, is that where we're going to sleep? I was frozen because it was like minus 30, right? I was like, fuck! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I guess this is the moments you cherish the most. And yeah. Little never mind that I almost froze to death that night because I didn't have the proper gear. But again... <laughs> you learn your lesson you live and you learn yeah (laughs) um so following on from alaska Mm. almost freezing to death where did you head after that (laughs) yeah i think that summer i was a bit yeah i was organizing these little events for the magazine and there's all the brand and doing bits and pieces and like still very much pumped up with being able to do a lot with very little and started to kind of thrive on my own self and that's when i met Paul, my ex-husband, and and soon after decided to move to, to London that coming winter, uh, mm-hmm. which was a year. And then again, we went back to the Pyrenees. Pyrenees was great. But then he was like, oh, maybe we should, you know, be adults. And oh, yeah, I asked him to marry me um, and bought him a bottle of milk to celebrate because <laughs> there was a vending machine that you could buy milk. So why wouldn't you? <laughs> 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 um so I was like, all right should we maybe we should do the the grown-up thing and we're looking to buy a house and i was like okay well i didn't necessarily want to go back to my village but as it happens like my mom and dad kind of were in a transition themselves and they found a new place for their new bar restaurant so we went there to help them out building it from the ground up literally building it and we saw this house or he saw this house in the village and he said, yeah, we can afford it. I'm shit at money. So he was the one that said, yeah, I think we can afford it. So mm-hmm. we went for it. Soon after, he made me sell my Vanda, which 
I still haven't forgiven him from that. <laughs> but um, no, but it, 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 met, it made sense at the time. And so, yeah, we kind of moved there and I kind of became someone else. And that sounds very wrong and it's not specifically that. Like I explored other sides of myself, but it, it wasn't ultimately, it, it wasn't who I was or not in an environment I'd thrive. Like I started doing job for him for a new learning company and just because I could like, yeah, I learned fast. So, oh, you need a translator. You need a project manager. You need this, you know, yeah, I'll do anything. Like, but then, yeah, you realize that's not maybe the best fit. And from living in a van basically for 10 years to owning a 10 bedroom house with an acre of land. Wow. And all the responsibility that entitled is like a bit overwhelming. Yeah, for sure. But I was very much in love and I, I did want a kid. So I said, all right, let's have a kid. So mm-hmm. I got pregnant and got little Pia. Yeah. And uh, before she was one, I think things weren't great. And I felt like something wasn't quite right in our relationship. So after Rocky Road a few months, I, I asked for a divorce and he moved back to the UK, you know, it's like figuring out house, baby, yeah, work. What the fuck do I do? Yeah, yeah. With a lot of support and and therapy, I uh, <laughs> I managed to get it all sorted and yeah, yeah, and bought him out and did the right thing and stuff. And in the process, I allowed myself to fall in love again, a bit unexpected, unexpectedly, with Frederick, and and he's the reason why I'm in Sweden now. And to be honest, we're just still trying to figure out what the hell we're doing yeah yeah uh he's got two older children and i have pia and yeah we're again learning by doing was it around the time of your divorce that you went back out to other places or right so when pia was born i think in her first year of life she has been in nine countries oh wow <laughs> um and let me tell you for the ones that are in mums in the first year of a baby's life doesn't matter how equal your relationship is the weight is on the mother especially if you're breastfeeding so i can claim i did that like 100 <laughs> fucking percent but yeah he was there sort of supporting like this is the best can and as, as much you allow them to but i think that urge in me like i tried to describe this in, in my friend's words. So I have a friend who's a sports psychologist mm-hmm. and she had a baby around the same time I did. And we hadn't speaking for, spoken for a while. And after a while, I was like, hey, Elena, how are you doing? Blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, I'm better now that I've passed the grief. And I'm like, wait, who died? Yeah. I was like, no, no, nobody died. It's just, you know, my old me and my new me. I'm like, what are you talking about? And she's like, yeah, like you as a mom, you have to grieve your old person when you become a mother because you lose that person forever like Mm -hmm. the day your son or daughter is born you lose your person forever yeah uh and you have to grieve that person because it's it's a new one now Mm -hmm. as a a mother which is awesome and it's great and it's everything but it's still a loss of something especially in a person like myself was like my freedom and my person was like really important I was like and when when I was able to voice that in that way I was like oh <laughs> that's what I've been feeling for a year 
quite a realization. It's like I couldn't put the words in something that I had been feeling so strongly. Yeah. And fighting against it. Like, I'm like, I'm not going to be one of those mothers that change their life completely. I'm going to continue to be myself and do what I do and take my baby everywhere. Mm -hmm. Which I continue to do that, but more acknowledging that that's what I'm doing because Mm -hmm. I choose to do that rather than trying to fight against this grief of I've lost my old me. Yes. If that makes sense. Yeah. Adapting to the new you. Yeah. So yeah, I snowboard with Bia a lot. She just learned how to go top to bottom on her own last weekend. So oh that's my goodness. Super exciting because so after cute. three years of snowboarding with her, my back is now like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I might not have three disc hernias anymore. So, <laughs> so you, you are now based in Sweden. Mm. How is that? What's that transition like? And are you still doing quite a bit of traveling? What's the, what's your situation? I mean, a bit less, but I still try to travel a bit. Mm-hmm. M- mostly, I mean, after these two years of, of COVID and stuff. But yeah, I, I do what I can for sure. And funny story is that I just got my Swedish residency number. And ah. after all these years living in, what, 10 plus countries, I had actually never really, uh, in, in in the UK, I did register, but I never deregister from Spain. But here's the first time I actually registered and deregistered from Spain. Oh, so wow. I'm now official, officially a Swedish resident in all oh, capacities. Wow. Still haven't got a bank account in Sweden yet. I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know the feeling. <laughs> We're working on it. So how are you enjoying it there? It takes an adjusting because the seasons here are very much seasons. Like Mm -hmm. winter is dark, summer is bright. (laughs) And it kind of fucks up with your brain a little bit. Right now it's kind of more of the normal, you know, half day, half night kind of time. November is the worst time because there's no snow and it's really cold and it's really dark. Uh, when the snow comes is much, much easier and much more enjoyable. Yeah. But I'm really learning the process of seeing how things are different and the quirky bits of the culture and stuff. It's also hard at times because I have no community yet. I have no family here. I have no support with Bia except for my partner. So yeah, and I work from home, so it's it's harder for me to learn the language. Mm-hmm. So it, it, there is definitely uh, challenges to overcome and still will be worked on. But I still feel like I can keep doing this. Um, yeah, yeah. So I'm already saying like, hey, can we do some seasons in Spain and some seasons in Sweden and who knows <laughs> what else? So yeah, I yeah. guess that mentality, once a season here, always a season here. So season here, <laughs> exactly. always a season. Exactly. And we'll get to hear more from Alba after this short ad break. Fancy taking the leap and working abroad? Gap360 are a UK-based travel company that offer over 200 experiences in over 50 amazing destinations, including incredible working holiday opportunities in Australia, available right now. Gap360 have a team of expert travel advisors to plan your working holiday and can help with flights, visa advice, insurance and budget planning. Start your working holiday with a fun, life-changing week in Sydney, Melbourne or the Queensland coast with a group of like-minded travellers before 12 months of job support from Gap360's local dedicated teams to find your perfect job down under. It's time to work and play the Aussie way. 
Next month, Gap360 will be launching an incredible opportunity to help make your Australia working holiday dream a reality. So head to gap360.com forward slash season air to sign up and be the first in the know. Um, so I will now move on to the questions that I kind of ask everyone, if that's all right with you. Okay, yeah. So what was your pandemic experience like? It's a funny one because Sweden hasn't had many restrictions. Up here definitely didn't feel like restrictions were a thing. They had recommendations, so there were never really, you know, lockdown or anything like that. But I wasn't quite living in Sweden yet. I came to visit for like a, a week with Bia and that turned into 10 days and then that turned into five months. <laughs> and we were still very much trying to work out whether, you know, I could move in here, our relationship could work, family life, whatever. So it kind of forced us a little bit to to move into this. Sometimes I feel maybe too forced, but however it is, it, it's my story. And um, I guess for me, it was like the fact that first I wanted to go back to Spain because that's where Pia had, you know, nursery and childcare and stuff. And, mm-hmm. and then I realized it was too stressful. I think I spent like 3,000 euros in flights trying to work out the layovers and the whether I could or couldn't, where I then could come back or I couldn't. They would let me in. Let me, because at the beginning was like a lot of misinformation and a lot of anxiety around traveling. Yeah. So I then decided, well, Pia's here. I have my laptop with me. I can work. Luckily, my family are good. We're sorted and they are not kicking me out. So I I can stay put for a bit and see how this plays out. Mm -hmm. What that meant is like until we actually then made the move and registered be in school and stuff on and off. I spent one, one and a half years with Bia 24-7 with me. Not 100% of the pandemic because the schools were working here. That's the Mm -hmm. thing. Like, you know. My partner was going to work and the kids were in school, except Pia that she was with me because she wasn't registered here because of this kind of moving situation. So it's like as a result of a pandemic, but also my circumstances. Um, so yeah, it's been a year and a half having five different massive projects and working out still all the divorce paperwork and money and that plus a two year old. Yeah. 24 seven at home. So dealing with the. Time management, the guilt of having her watch too much TV and, you know, feeling isolated despite people not really being isolated here. It was still a bit weird. It was like a pandemic within a pandemic that wasn't really a pandemic. I, I don't have a better <laughs> way to describe that. <laughs> it was a bit of an odd one for sure. Yeah. Yeah, sounds it. So if someone was planning to only do one season, where would you recommend them to go and why? Oh, that's a really tough one, Gina. Mm. I don't like that one. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) You know, as a little girl, once I, as I said before, I like to daydream a lot. And my dream was like, imagine I could go to every city in every country in the whole wide world. I don't even know how many would that be, right? (laughs) So (laughs) trying to answer this is like, uh, not really happening. <laughs> um, I would say don't just do one. Do as many as you can and take where the circumstances take you. Go Definitely. Follow it. It's a good answer. 
Okay, right answer. Good. <laughs> good. Yeah, I, was, I thought Dream you wanted bigger. me to say, I don't know, like France or Italy. Or, I, was like, I don't know. No, it's good. It's good to say, like, don't limit yourself for sure. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So obviously you've always kind of worked in a freelance capacity, but mm. you've worked on various different jobs in a freelance capacity. Mm. So what was your best and what was your worst jobs and why? I think defining jobs in terms of best and worst is really tricky because every job has both aspects, mm -hmm. uh, good and bad, and it depends how you take them and it depends how much you're willing to learn from them. I think as long as you keep authentic to who you are and what your goal is and stand up for yourself when you have to, you can go about anything, right? Like nothing's perfect and nothing is absolute shit yeah so it depends where you are at that moment to to do what it is like uh, i don't know for instance one thing that comes to mind is <laughs> i was so innocent with this stuff but when i had the bar i remember being cleaning the toilet and it's like oh what's this white dust <laughs> right um <laughs> the realization that people were doing coke in the toilet of my bar was heartbreaking. Yeah. I don't know. I don't even know why this came to my mind, but it was like, is that the worst thing that happened then? No, probably not. But again, it was like a, a part of it. It's like a learning experience. And now I look back and I'm like, oh my God, how could you be so dumb, right? <laughs> um, but I guess for me, the worst parts of freelance jobs is when they don't work out with who you work with. And when you have to part ways with partners, colleagues, clients, mm -hmm. whether it's because they're, it's almost like a breakup, right? Yeah, it's like yeah. The relationship is not working or either one or the other aren't getting what they need or the thing they need mm -hmm. or in the way they think they need it. And that's a hard one. Yeah. That's definitely the hardest part to being a freelancer, if you wish, or as a freelancer in general. The ups and downs and not having the stability is definitely a tricky one. Mm -hmm. You can learn to live with it, but you never get rid of that anxiety mm -hmm. completely. But at the same time, it's addictive. Like <laughs> for me, the thought I had had job offers that it would be pretty much for life if I wanted to. And I declined them and I declined them at times that I was complaining that I didn't have stability. But then mm -hmm. the thought of having that stability for the rest of my life and not having to change anything is like almost more overwhelming than not knowing what I would do tomorrow. Yeah. So it's not for everyone, but <laughs> if it is, it is. Yeah. Are there any jobs that you went on that you just thought, this is amazing. This is the best thing I've ever done. Obviously the best thing you've ever done is probably having a child, but other than that. <laughs> oh, really? No. I mean, some days. <laughs> But in terms of work, is there any uh, kind of job where you were just like, this is awesome? Yeah, I I was just having this conversation with a colleague today. And I was like, we're so lucky that we get to do what we love every single day. Yeah. And some days we make more, some days we make less, some days we like it more, some days we like it less. But ultimately, we're doing something we're passionate about. Sometimes you forget that not everyone does that even though they chose their actual career. But I would say that right now what I'm doing with the Women in Action Sports Network, which is still taking off really, when I'm tired from my other work, of writing, like I, I do a lot of writing now for 
yeah, Rebels Vein and the magazines and stuff and the bike park. But when I'm tired, I'm like, I just put my attention on, on the Women in Action Sports Network and I enjoy it so much that yesterday I did a 12 hour day and I even didn't realize. And that's when I think, and I've had this feeling a lot of times in a lot of work, but right now this is what I'm enjoying because it has, again, something more to it. It's not just about the money. It's not just about the task you're doing. It's about the potential it has, the good in the community, connecting people, the kind of onto the next thing and how can this play out. And I enjoy that very much. Yeah, it's quite a rewarding mm. area to working. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, in your job, talking about what you do and all the different parts of that, all the different aspects, what is the what is your favorite aspect of your job? Because obviously you do the photography, you do the storytelling and the journalism, the writing side of things, you do interviews, all sorts of things. What is your favorite part of working in that environment? I think it's getting to know the people's stories, mm -hmm. for sure. <laughs> it has to be that. I know the feeling. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. I couldn't, I couldn't think of anything else. And being able to enjoy it with them and be part of it like the belonging is a big part, like you're belonging of this community and you're building this story together and you're part of people's stories somehow. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think. Cool. Yeah. People. <laughs> awesome. Uh, where is the best place you've ever visited and why? That's got to be difficult. You've been to a lot of places. <laughs> yeah, that's hard. I don't like your questions. <laughs> I'm they're sorry. They're too <laughs> difficult, aren't they? It's like choosing. No, no, no. I mean, yeah. So Alaska definitely has that little piece of my heart because mm -hmm. it was so hard to make it happen. And it was a long dream come true. And I almost died. And, you know, it, it was very intense. But um, maybe more of a recent one would be we went to Chile in 2019, just before the, the pandemic. And we hiked up this volcano. It wasn't like particularly the biggest or anything, but, you know, we got to snowboard down the crater and I thought that was very special, but mostly I enjoyed. And again, I'm going back to people because the places <laughs> are great, but if you share them with people are even better. And I saw Freddie, my partner, kind of the relief and the smile after a shit period of his life and being able to share. And for me as well, we were in a similar moment and we were able to share that moment together mm -hmm. on top of a bloody volcano and then snowboarded down it. It was, <laughs> you know, that was pretty epic. But then last weekend, being able to do the first snowboard run with my daughter that she wasn't even strapped, like... I have this leash, literally a leash, so she doesn't <laughs> just go down. But now she's learned how to stop, slide down, you know, edge control and all that stuff. So, and she just turned four. So, yeah, we're just in order and being able to kind of look down the valley and see her snowboarding in front Aww. of me while singing. Cute. She was just singing. <laughs> Sometimes you realize you don't, you don't have to go anywhere. Yeah. You just have to be here. In the moment. Mm, which is go. hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. In your opinion, what is the best thing about season life or being a seasonaire in general? This can be answered in many ways, but I think for a lot of people, it's less daunting to think, I'm going to try out for a season. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't work out, I can always go back. It's not like you're committing long term to change your life forever and you can never go back to. And I think to get into that season 
by season lifestyle, it's it's a bit easier. Yeah. And then you just get stuck into it, just like me. But uh, <laughs> 15 years later. <laughs> yeah. And then you think, yeah. And then you realize that actually every choice you make and every decision you make, it changes and shapes whatever comes after. So mm-hmm. even though it's that kind of comfort of, oh, you know, I can just go try it out mm-hmm. because you're choosing to try that out. You're rejecting some other stuff and that's a good thing right like it can only be a good thing again it's not for everyone you see a lot of people come and go and probably that's the saddest part right like it it always comes to an end but then if it wouldn't it wouldn't be the same yeah because you wouldn't appreciate it as much absolutely yeah uh can you tell us about a challenge or difficulty you faced during your journey one that stands out and what did you learn from it (laughs) i feel tears coming up um oh no 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 I mean I guess loneliness can be a huge thing Mm -hmm. and I'm not particularly bothered by being alone I'm an only child and only grandchild like I've played by myself the whole of my life Mm -hmm. but it's different to be alone than feeling lonely and for some reason uh doing seasons or being maybe just being far away or choosing because I feel like (laughs) at least in my journey during these seasons, it was like setting myself challenging, like challenge after challenge after challenge. And so with that comes loneliness sometimes because you're again, choosing something over something else or someone over someone else or an opportunity over another opportunity. So that that can bring loneliness Mm -hmm. because you, you stop belonging in one place but then in time and looking back now, I like, oh, I belong to a community and a lot of people instead of just one place. So I feel less lonely. Although sometimes it'd be nice to just have my friends closer, you know, but yeah, yeah. I guess that's the, the hardest bit, at least for me. Yeah. And what's one thing you wish you had known before going on your first season? <laughs> I am thinking so many things but I guess my first season I was quite young so I was like don't trust the older guys that give you beer <laughs> yeah yeah let's just leave it at that <laughs> okay all right okay <laughs> um so you've had many many unbelievable experiences are there any opportunities or memorable stories that stand out to you that you wouldn't have had if you hadn't have left Spain in the first place to go and work seasons every single one of them and i realize every time i go back to the village <laughs> just few seasons in not even this far maybe like 3 or 4 but i remember bumping into who was my best friend at school mm-hmm. uh, high school and we had lost touch. And I was driving the van. I was like, jump in. Like, let's go have a coffee. She was like, oh, oh okay. And we, <laughs> we went for coffee at this like awful shopping center. And I was like, so how have you been? Cause we kind of fell out the last few weeks of school. And as it happens, you're a teenager and whatever. And I was like, oh, yeah. You remember I met that guy? Like, yeah, still with him. You know, a few years on, like after finishing university and everything's so, like, oh, cool, cool. It's like, so what did you study? Oh, I did economics. I'm working at a bank mm-hmm. where I did my internship at a bank and I'm hoping now that they'll offer me the job and, you know, I'm saving up and I'm looking into maybe buying a flat and yeah, hopefully we'll get married and this thing's so, on. Oh, yeah, I got to Rome or to Paris last year and it was this story and it was cool and it was good to see her, but at the same time, when she asked back, like, how had I been and what I was up to, 
I wasn't sure if I should just make it all up. Yeah. And just say that I had a job at a local shop. And because <laughs> I, I, I kept talking and I kept seeing in her eyes first, I think it was judgment because, you know, like she had been with this guy for, she's still with him. Yeah. Which is admirable, but that wasn't me because it didn't work out with my lifestyle. But then all these jobs and all this trying and all like, oh, I quit university and then I changed and then I did this and then I did that. And I've lived in six different countries and I've had two businesses. One of them failed. One of the, and first was complete like misunderstandings. Like, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Then it was fear of like, who's this person? Is she crazy? Then it was judgment of like, <laughs> oh, poor you, you know, you, you didn't even get to settle down. And I think when we left, it was kind of, I don't want to say regret, mm-hmm. but a bit of, oh, there's something else. Yeah, yeah. I don't think she will ever do. No. Again, it's not for everyone. Haven't seen her ever again. It's not for everyone. But if it is for you, embrace it fully. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the reason I started the podcast was so other people mm. would find out that these different lifestyles, alternative paths and things exist. So like you say, it's not mm. for everyone, but... It's never boring. No, it's never boring. You might go to China with like 10 bucks in your pocket. But <laughs> it's never boring. <laughs> it's it's a it's a bittersweet moment, but it's a very proud yeah, one. Yeah, so. exactly. Uh. Exactly. <laughs> so, throughout all your travels, where feels most like home to you? So, for 10 years it was wherever my van was parked, like whenever I felt a bit scared at a fill corner or a fill uh, yeah, I kind of just went and slept in the van, even though I had a house to go to. Right now, I don't care where I am. If Pia's there and she's good, we're kind of safe, then I don't really care. Yeah. I can't care because otherwise I wouldn't do what I do. Excellent. When you're away, because you're still away from Spain, but when you're away from <laughs> home, what do you miss most about your home country? Ham. Ham. That's a new one. Olives. <laughs> we've had bread we've had crisps <laughs> well jamon i mean iberico jeez yes love that <laughs> sometimes the smells and sometimes the noises like the sounds kind of mm-hmm. sound different because of the language i guess i suppose as well it's kind of like you go home and it's like that sound yeah yeah i don't know <laughs> i don't miss it until i go back and i hear it right yeah. Yeah, bread. Yeah, but I mean, there's bread everywhere nowadays. But they <laughs> ham. I bring legs and my grandma's soup. I bring bones and legs of ham in my suitcase <laughs> to make soup. <laughs> you never get like searched or anything like, what is this leg? No. When <laughs> <laughs> Why do you have a bone in your suitcase? <laughs> so in the soup goes pig's feet, cow. <laughs> backbone with salt and when i was gonna put like a pig all the vegans are tuning out at this point oh yeah 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 <laughs> but 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 i i yeah you make soup i put a lot of vegetables in the soup as well yeah okay it's like chicken chicken broth you know like whatever <laughs> well, it's it, for me it's kind of like i don't even eat the thing is the soup as pia calls it yellow soup i love yellow soup yes <laughs> it's great <laughs> whenever you're down i just make soup and i feel at home yeah. again oh awesome if you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice what would it be oh, i hate this question i always ask it and i don't know <laughs> 
I blame John Weaver for this question. I know. <laughs> I guess this is a big one for me lately. Don't punish yourself more than you have to. Mm-hmm. We all get things wrong. Uh, we all make mistakes. We all have highs and lows and it doesn't matter Like as long as you get up and keep going. you know. I've been suffering a lot of anxiety lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the last two years, I've had a lot of anxiety attacks. So that's been another journey to kind of work through acceptance, compassion, guilt management. What do you think it is that brought that on? All the circumstances, for sure. I mean, the divorce, the becoming a mother, the trying to still be a successful or define successful in other people's people's terms, mm-hmm. uh, whilst being a mother and having a different lifestyle than what you're supposed to have to merging into a new family that had a big loss to, you know, um, ever world pandemic war shit happening. Like it, it's, it's never one thing. Yeah. It's never one thing. And I guess the more aware you are, the more sensitive you become. And that means your reactions are stronger. Yeah. I guess that that's been a big one for me. So yeah, I guess the not punishing yourself more than you have to to keep going because at the end of the day we'll learn and that kind of happens right and and without that there's no way you can move on and not only individually but as a community uh whether it's in sports or wherever you are we'll make mistakes and we can learn from it and and i'm saying this for all this cancel culture it's so big at the moment it's just so damaging for individuals and communities mm-hmm. in general that it, it it's not really worth it it's not really worth it because it's kind of feeling and sitting comfortable in those mistakes and that's not really fair on anyone yeah on the topic of advice what's the best piece of advice you've ever received and what's the worst piece of advice you've ever received i don't know if it's an advice or kind of what i've learned from my family but um it is the best and the worst at the same time, which is like work hard and just keep working and just keep going. Yeah. Yes, it's the best piece of advice because sometimes you have to absolutely just do that. But others is the worst piece of advice because we're not superhuman and sometimes you need to stop. And that's a bit of my family's kind of work ethic and life ethic. And that's very much ingrained in me. And when I can't keep up to that standard, I feel like I'm failing. So that becomes bad. But when when you need to get out of the situations, you just have to do it. Yeah. So, so I guess it's good and bad at the same time. How's that? Double worry. <laughs> I like it. Ah. <laughs> we talk a lot about mentors on the show, and you mentioned in the beginning that you had some mentors. Who are the mentors that have helped you along the way in your journey? Yeah, mentors are great figures that we often tend to forget or even identify. I've been lucky enough to naturally searching for them and recognizing them as such. First, you kind of become super friends, but that's not what they are either. They they can be, but often, in my experience, more often than not, when when you get too attached to them in that way, things don't turn out great. I think... Most of the mentors in my life have been women. Cool. Strong, independent, in their very different ways. But most of all, they were 
very open to vulnerability mm -hmm. and they had their own issues that they were or they would talk about openly and they had no hesitation in helping out and leading the way when they had to and they would have no hesitations and let me push and get going when I was able to. And I think they'll come and go in periods of life and, and you have to accept that, you know, for, for them to do their job and for you to keep your own journey, they go in and out and, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Do you have any quotes or sayings that you live by? When I was little, it's a bit of a cheesy one. But I always like the saying of it, maybe because it had the stars involved. The one of, um, oh God, I know it in Spanish. Um, if you cry because you've lost the sun, the tears will let you see the stars. I just translated that, but I think it's right. <laughs> it's from Tagore. So yeah, I always liked it. And the years pass, you kind of see a new meaning to that. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any books, movies, podcasts, publications, anything like that that you can recommend to our listeners which helped you on your path? Or can you tell us about something that has inspired you recently? One thing that inspired me recently or a tool that I've kind of reached out to is this community of mothers called Mother Wild, which I invite every mum that feels like it's a bit outside of the box to look up to. They're on Instagram, but they do, they run like sessions every month a few and then talk to different people it was founded one of the founders is Carmela who was coincidentally the founder of women in board sports she now lives in Japan and, and it's a global community and it's been there and so when I needed it I tapped into that resource or their resources and when I haven't I just you know it's there and yeah. you can know it's there that's cool. So that, that's been a, a very good tool. And, and it's a different kind of approach to these things of helping you in your journey or inspiring you than books or movies because you're actually talking to people. So that, that's cool. Yeah, that's incredible. Mm. Awesome. What's one myth about seasonal life that you would like to debunk? That it's only for English party people. Yeah. I guess. There is a lot of them, but it doesn't have to be, or you don't have to be a chalet girl, or there's no one way to do it. Mm -hmm. You can make it your own. Uh, I've got to ask my mum's favorite question now. What's one thing mm -hmm. you take with you everywhere you travel, or do you have any travel hacks? Oh, I have a lot of them. Oh, yeah? <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh, where, where should I begin? God damn it. Um, something I always travel with, though. Yes, I have a compass, a little compass. Oh, cool. That bizarrely lives in my toiletry bag that my dad gave me. When I moved to Canada, so I'd never get lost. Oh, so cool. Oh, I think he actually meant it to use it in the field, but <laughs> not that it would get me out of anywhere. <laughs> but it's, a, it's actually a very good little compass. Um, have I used it ever? I don't think so, but it's cool. <laughs> that is cool. <laughs> um, travel hacks. Because now I have a lot of travel hacks with babies and kids. <laughs> I have also one that I did. It doesn't always work, but if you're a bit overweight on your luggage on the board pack, you know, like they weigh it on the belt, you kind of put your normal suitcase in and they always make you take your board back to another belt. Yeah. If they don't look or if you're cheeky enough, 
I sometimes change my boots and put my snow boots in so it's overweight. (laughs) (laughs) And now sometimes they walk with you, so it doesn't always work. It works in some airports. You have to know whether they send you there or they walk with you. Ah, okay. Uh, So that's next level hacking. Yeah, that's really good. (laughs) I think the best travel hack or advice is being where you are like traveling is exhausting Mm -hmm. and if you do it a lot it gets quite intense and the only way to survive it is by taking your time to travel Mm -hmm. and stop trying to do other things especially now with Bia when I travel with her I can't do anything else it's traveling with Bia and that's what's happening and that's when things go smoothly and well if you're trying to you know attend work calls person well it, it doesn't happen like traveling has to be traveling and that's when things go well yeah really good advice is there anything that season life has brought to your current life something that I had to be reminded of recently throughout the pandemic and my process of anxiety coping and and all of that was the planning ahead is okay but don't plan too far ahead because then especially during uncertain times which COVID have been Mm -hmm. yeah it's good to have a rough idea but don't focus yourself too much on planning too much far ahead yeah rather than one step at a time sometimes and I think season life has both because you haven't finished one season that you have to already be planning the next one because otherwise either you miss out on the jobs or on the rentals or on the housing or on the passes or planes or whatever it is that you need to do that next season or like, oh, I'm running out of my rent contract is up this month. Well, where do I go next, right? So there is a certain amount of planning in season lifestyle for sure, but don't obsess with it I guess and it's kind of you're here and you only have yeah you have to be somewhere else next month so at least enjoy this one that you're here yeah if you hadn't gone and done your first season what do you think you would be doing right now I'd be very 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 bored (laughs) (laughs) no I don't know I don't think that's an option I think I would have left the village anyways no matter what so like, yeah, I was set to be an astrophysicist, but I realized soon enough that that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. So we've spoken quite a lot about the Women in Action Sports Network. Where did that idea come from and how's it going? What What have you got planned for the future with it? So the Women in Action Sports Network is an evolution of the Women in Bought Sports that I relaunched last November, so just a few months ago. It's really kind of giving the community that space we all deserve and need and to promote each other, create connections, inspire each other. And so what it actually looks like is we run monthly workshops and sessions and open conversations to both learn from each other, inspire. We have Justine, who's my co-director that facilitates a lot of the workshops and she's a co-active business coach. Um, so you actually learn skills from that and improve others, but also network and, and get to know the other community. And then I run a lot of the interviews, so kind of to get inspired from these leaders and inspirational women mm-hmm. in the industry. But ultimately is a place where I want it to become a place where you can ask a question and someone will be listening yeah. <laughs> to kind of answer in this specific, you know, action sports industry and professional work. 
Excellent. So what is next for you? <laughs> so next for me is keep pushing this Women Action Sports Network, keep working out, putting the pieces together. We started a few conversations about the progression of females and awarding female mountain biking, which are really taking off and the industry is really responding with interest and, and curiosity, which I think it's great. Mm-hmm. I'm also in the process of, like I run the marketing and the comes for bike park and next to Barcelona. That's one of the, like it's called a Puma bike park. And it's like one of the biggest ones that we're in the process of potentially getting a, a long-term contract there to run the facility or maybe not. So I'm debating whether my role should be there because also I'm in Sweden. So it's, it's a tricky one. And I'm also involved in Omarisquino, which is an action sports festival that finally, after the pandemic, kind of looks like it's going to be back to normal. And it's in the north of Spain in August in Vigo. And it's like a great, great event. And I'm really excited because that's kind of been a bit of my platform to jump over the next thing in my media experience. Last year, I was able to do work in a very special a scenario because of course it was COVID and we had uh, restrictions with public and stuff mm-hmm. but what that meant for me is that all of a sudden I was managing a team of 70 people oh, wow. with two live feeds 10 hours of streaming and yeah just a huge media team and I did learn a lot and so it was hard but I'm, I'm looking forward now to to see how this can evolve in normal circumstances or more normal circumstances and how can I evolve in that position as well as how can I advocate for women being still part of these events and this kind of organizations. Um, so uh, basically, I guess, long story short, I'm, I'm, what's next for me is to trying to put all the pieces together. Yeah. Where is the best place for people to find you? I guess I'm pretty active on Instagram nowadays, Alba Pardo T. Alba Pardo was taken. So, <laughs> um, I, otherwise, albapardo.com, my professional website, also womaninactionsportsnetwork.com or in the Facebook group if you're interested in the topic and are part of the community. Men or women doesn't matter. I think I don't forget anything. Yeah, just going to our website, um, womaninactionsportsnetwork.com and join for the membership. Awesome. Do you have one parting piece of advice for anyone thinking about becoming a seasonaire or starting a new adventure? Just do it. <laughs> oh, wait, that's Nike's. I need to make my new one. My own one. Um, yeah, they're so good, though, with what they do. Just do it. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to cover before we say goodbye? I think I'm sick of hearing my own voice. <laughs> no. no, this was a pleasure. And you definitely, like, I, I do a lot of interviews. And I feel like sometimes I keep repeating myself. And this was a different, refreshing one that made me scratch my head in more than one occasion. So it was like a really... Um, I'm just really exciting. nosy. <laughs> yeah, no, but that, that was a really exciting experience. And it didn't go at all as I thought it would go. Oh, really? Or I, didn't even, I didn't even tell the stories or the things I thought I would tell, which I guess are the ones that I normally tell. So I think that's kudos to you and mm. thanking you for, for having me here. And reaching out. Thank you so, so much for agreeing to come on the show. It's been really interesting to hear your story and it's a little bit different as well because obviously a lot of freelancing in your season air journey. So yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you. 
check me out playing it cool whilst interviewing someone who's that experienced that they literally interview for Red Bull. To say I was nervous was an understatement. I was shitting myself, but we got through it. And I want to say a huge thank you and what an absolute honour it was to interview the marvellous and talented Alba Pardo. Don't forget to hit the follow or subscribe button on your podcast player to get all new episodes as they're released. And remember to check the show notes for any links relating to today's show. Shout out to our sponsors Gap360. As always, a huge thank you to Mike at Mike Sports Bar for the studio space. Thank you to Mondo Way for the music. And thanks to you guys for tuning in. See you all again next time. Ah, they're clicking on the door. Can I go yeah, get yeah. it? It's a package. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>